Okay, good morning. Um, my name is Jenny, as Simon's just said, and I'm married to Sanjay, and we are both going to be preaching to you this morning. You get a double Matani whammy. Um, <laughs> um, so a bit about who we are. Sanjay arrived in Oxford 11 years ago as a student um, and spent a couple of years in between then and now, not here, which is when we met. Um, and I moved up here four years ago and have been part of OCC then. Um, so today is the last in our series on being forged in God's image. Um, we're going to be talking about money this morning. So we've given it this title, Made to Funnel, which we'll explain a bit more about later. I don't know about you, but I feel like the testimonies and the worship that we've heard this morning, God is really getting at our hearts. Um, and that, that is what we're talking about this morning. We're not talking about practicalities of money. We're talking about our hearts. Um, and we really have faith for God to move this morning um, and to change us. God is good. And when we submit our lives to him, when we submit our hearts to him, he pours out his blessing on us. Um, so I also just want to say at the beginning that uh, we, me and Sanjay, are by no means sorted in this area of money and finance. We're not experts. Um, but it's something that we really care about. Um, I've found it to be completely freeing and joyful when I've submitted this area of my life to God. And my prayer for this morning is for a release of freedom and joy for others in this area of finance. Uh, so I just want to pray that this morning before we get going. Would you join me in praying? <sighs> Holy, Holy Father, we come before you this morning and we are so grateful for who you are and for all the good things that you give us. God, I pray for your grace over this morning. Would your Holy Spirit um, reach our hearts, I pray, and would freedom and peace and joy be released in this place this morning. Amen. Amen. So, hey. Um, so, as I've already said, atti our attitude to money is an issue of the heart, and that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. So, Jesus spoke a lot about money. Uh, there are lots of other verses in the Bible about money. There are several proverbs about money. Um, there is far more in the Bible about money than we could ever do justice to in one preach. Um, and we're not going to keep you here all day, don't worry. Um, so we're focusing on our hearts this morning. Um, I'm aware that when talking about money and finance, it can do things in us that make us... It can make us feel uncomfortable. Um, we, there are probably as many different financial situations represented in this room as there are people. Um, and so I want to encourage you not to switch off um, from what we're saying because we really believe that this applies to everyone. When I think about this, this area of money and finance, a verse that often comes to mind is this. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. That is... Our actions, how we live out our lives, reflect what we truly deep down believe. Isn't this so true in the area of our money? 
As water reflects the face, so one's finances reflect the heart. What we do with our money is a fairly private thing. It's not something that we talk very openly about. And because of that, there is often little or no accountability in the financial decisions that we make. We can take control over our money and be powerful in that area, but equally it can be very easy for our money to take control and have a hold over us. We can profess to love the church and to love God's mission, but not back that up with our actions by financially supporting the church or financially supporting those who are planting churches overseas. We can say that we trust in God as our provider, but take out a loan to make it through to payday. We can profess to have great diligence in our budgeting and in our money, but regularly go into our overdraft. It might not be as extreme as any of those for some of us. It may just be that we are trying to live um, in a way that is submitted to God with all of our being and all of our actions, but we just really struggle to do this. Um, and be obedient to him in his word. And for all of us, there is, even the most diligent and the most sorted in this area, there is always room to grow. So before we get into, Sanjay's going to be speaking to us from a parable in a minute, but before we get into that, I just want to explain a bit of background about uh, this biblical picture of money and finance. Firstly, God is a generous God. We don't have to look very far to see that. Um, We've heard testimonies this morning of how God has been a generous God. Um, We read in the Bible, we've sung about it this morning, that God sent Jesus to die for us so that we may have life in abundance. Hallelujah. That That is who God is. It's part of who God is. God is generous, and we are made in his image. Um, In Genesis 1... Uh, This is the picture of creation. In Genesis 1, God gives Adam dominion over all creation. So creation belonged to God. It was made by him, but Adam was charged with ruling it and looking after it. It didn't belong to Adam, but God generously um, gave it to him, and he was entrusted with it by God. In the same way... God entrusts lots of good things to us. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That is, everything that exists belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to God. And every good gift that is given to us is a gift from God. And that includes our money. Yes, we work hard for it. But we are only enabled to do so. We only have the gifts within us to do so because God has enabled us to do so. And God cares about how we use our money. It can be used for good and it can be used not for good. It can be used in a selfish way and it can be used in a selfless way. So that principle that it all belongs to God and that we have been given dominion over it is called stewardship. That's not a word that is used very often Um, but it means supervising or taking care of something. Um, We didn't think that the word stewardship would stick in people's minds as much as the word funnel, so that's why we've named this morning Made to Funnel. Um, And it also relates to a prophetic picture, which I will share with you later. 
So with this principle of stewardship in mind, we are going to hear from Sanjay. Thanks. Marvellous. So, yes, we are going to look at uh, a story that Jesus tells um, in Luke chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, um, open up to Luke chapter 12, and we will read from verses 13 onwards. Um, The verses will appear on the screen, but we're going to read a bit and then explore a bit more. So it would be helpful if you've got it in front of you as well. So Luke chapter 12, verses 13 onwards. Uh, This is known as the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, that's to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So let's walk through this parable. Here's a lovely painting of this rich fool um, by Rembrandt, as it happens. Um, We can see him on his own, isolated, surrounded by his wealth. So let's take a look at uh, at this parable. Jesus is first asked by this man in the crowd to give some help with his financial affairs. Um, He's been asked to uh, give a legal opinion on dividing this inheritance. And Jesus responds indirectly, not directly to this man, with a parable. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness or envy, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, this might seem like a strange response to the man's request, which is, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus has seen something in the man's question. He's seen envy and he's seen a desire for material things. So the, a bit of cultural background to this story is that um, what, what would be going on here is that a father would have died and not left a will, neither a written will or a spoken will. Um, and in that instance, all of his inheritance would pass to the eldest brother um, and then the eldest brother would have the decision of how to split that up. So this is a younger brother who's coming to Jesus and asking a legal question to Jesus to, to win Jesus to his side. So he uses this word teacher. He tries to win Jesus to his side with this mark of respect. Um, but Jesus sees that what's going on in this man's heart is not just wanting his legal opinion, but actually he's seeking material gain. 
Um, Jesus' heart for this man is compassion. He doesn't respond to him directly. He tells a parable, not just to this guy, but to the crowd. Uh, He doesn't want to condemn the man. He wants to bring an insight into the kingdom of God and invite this man into obedience. So Jesus tells this parable about the man who has too much. He sees that the young man wants more, and Jesus sees an opportunity to show him that having more won't lead to life. So he tells them a parable. He says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So firstly, let's notice that this is a rich man. He's already rich and he has land and his land produces this bumper crop. Amazing. But this is an overabundance. He doesn't need all that he's been blessed with. Um, He doesn't do anything to make the land produce this extra crop. Um, He can't do anything. Uh, We we perhaps don't don't understand this so clearly in our work, but if you're a farmer, that that realisation that actually you can't do anything to make the land produce or not produce is really obvious. And all it takes is, is a year where the rains don't come or the land doesn't produce to remember that actually we're trusting God for it. So this is a bonus. He's already rich and he already has all that he needs. So in a way, he has more reason than most to trust in God because he's already received so much. So he thinks to himself, what shall I do? Now, he might think of giving it away. This is more than he needs. Um, And there would be other people who have need around him. We could think of the workers who are working on the land, who won't have as much as him, who won't be landowners, um, but he doesn't consider them other people who are part of his community. He asks this question, what shall I do? Because he has more than enough. And it's actually a really good question. Um, And it might be a question that, uh, that we can consider Um, when we receive more than enough. I remember a couple of years ago um, in work, I'm involved in running a couple of small businesses in Oxford, and we came to the end of a financial year in one of those businesses, and we had some money left over. We had some extra profit that we hadn't yet accounted for. Um, And at the end of the year, we, we needed to distribute that among the partners. So I found myself with an extra four figure sum of money that I hadn't planned for, I didn't need, and I had this question, what shall I do? It's a hard question. And it was so tempting to do what the man did, ask the question, but then use it for himself. Jenny's already mentioned that often there's, no, there's very little visibility or accountability for those sorts of decisions. So when we come into an inheritance or when we get an end-of-year bonus, uh, it can be... It can be quite a private matter, quite an individual question of what shall I do with it? Um, So it's important to ask the question. Um, What we did was we tithed it. So we took the first 10% of that and we gave it to the church. We believe that that's what the Bible instructs us to do with all of our income. And then we prayed about how to deal with the rest. And we felt God lead us to set it aside. Um, We were saving up to buy buy a home. Um, and we'll talk a bit more later on about how God's, uh, God's encouraged us to steward that home. Um, so we asked that question. And I want to ask the same question to you. How do you process those sorts of financial decisions? Do you ask the question, what shall I do? Do you ask it on your own or do you ask it in community? 
Um, if you've got a personal pastor, that's a good place to talk out these things, these major financial decisions. So let's go back to the parable. So this man says, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. So his decision is to store up more for himself so that he will be in control of his future. In this decision, we see the way of the fool. So we see both fear and we see his selfishness. So firstly, his fear. His fear leads him to store up much this year, despite still owning the land. He doesn't need to store up the more because the land's going to produce again next year and the year after and the year after. But he would prefer not to have to trust the land and to trust God's provision through it in the future. Instead, he chooses to put aside this big sum of money, um, many years worth of wealth, we read, and just to relax. Now, this fear thing is a really sneaky one. Uh, I personally have to constantly watch my heart about this. And for me, it manifests as, am I really trusting God for the future of my career and to continue providing for me? Or am I actually trusting my own abilities? In my work, there are regular opportunities to take on different projects. um, And some of them would increase my income. um, But I know that God hasn't called me to do them. And it can be hard to take that conscious effort to choose not to take more now than God is providing for me, but rather to trust in God for the future, which I can't see and which I don't know, rather than letting the fear about future provision lead me into wrong decisions. And we can think of the Israelites in the wilderness when God's providing to them daily. God instructed them not to take more today than they needed for today, but rather to trust that when tomorrow comes, God again will provide, and then the next day, and then the next day. Are we trusting God for our provision? And secondly, his selfishness. So this guy has plenty more than he needs. Another version of of the passage says he has surplus grain. So he's already got what he needs, um, and this is more. But he doesn't think about others. Instead, he stores up for what lies beyond his own needs unnecessarily. And this can be another huge temptation for us. For me, to be honest, the temptation isn't so much to spend it on lots of nice things. Um, I'm really grateful that my parents taught me from an early age. You may have heard this, this, um, this quote from John Wesley, to make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. So my temptation isn't really to spend it all, Uh, My temptation is more to hoard it instead of giving, to be miserly. We can see the the miserly picture in in this. And and particularly, I rationalise it by saying, I'm saving it up for some future event uh, or some vague thing in the the future that I've not really named or not really uh, prayed about, but actually letting that become an excuse not to seek God for what he might want me to do with it, just in case his plans for it are different from my plans for it. So that's my issue. Uh, I wonder what yours is. I feel much more secure when I've got a healthy bank balance. We were recently really challenged on this by a friend of ours um, who we know from uni. 
So Claire is in a financially comfortable position with a good job. Um, and one day she was reading her Bible and was reading the, uh, the story of the early church in Acts, how they shared their possessions uh, and how they gave much away. And she realized that for her, there was still more obedience for her to grow in. So she decided to give away all her savings. Over the course of about nine months, she would respond to, to needs as she heard about them, whether from friends or from strangers, uh, from causes or from organizations. And she got her savings account all the way down to zero. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel. You might think, yeah, but what if her car breaks down? Or, but what if she loses her job? Now, she, she's in a financially secure position. She's got a job and she's got lodgers and she owns a home. So her feeling was that God was prompting her to, to grow in this area of obedience. Um, not because that's necessarily the rule for everyone, but because that God wanted to break the control of money in her life and cause her to trust him and not her savings. So in this, I need to remind myself where to put my trust. Proverbs 11 verse 28 says, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. I want to be a green leaf. So then we come to the final episode in this parable. God says to this man, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? The irony is, in this story, he doesn't ever get to enjoy this extra that he's been saving up for his own future. And notice it says his life is required of him. The word required speaks to a debt or a loan. It's almost as if his life hasn't been his at all, and it's now uh, to be returned. A loan comes from a lender, an ultimate owner, and the lender here of his life is God. It says the things you have prepared. The man was preparing these things for himself, but he didn't consider that these things he was preparing, he wasn't going to be able to take with him after he died. It reminds me of a really lovely story about John Rockefeller, who you might have heard of. He was uh, arguably the wealthiest man in history. And when he died, uh, as you might imagine, there were lots of people who were interested in how much he owned. When someone asked his accountant, um, and they, they came to him and said, how much did the great man leave behind? And with a wry smile, the accountant replied, all of it. So the parable ends with Jesus' conclusion, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Augustine, one of the early church fathers um, in the fourth century, wrote, commenting on this passage, this man did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his barns. This man does not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his barns. Augustine understood that laying up treasure for yourself looks like building bigger barns, but that giving to the poor has something to do with being rich towards God. So we see that both the man who asks Jesus the question and the rich fool are fearful and selfish. That's their heart attitude. And that's just what to expect, Jesus says, of those who lay up treasure for themselves. So what else does it mean to be rich towards God? 
Uh, If you've got your Bibles open, I want you to look again at uh, Luke 12. Jesus continues after the parable to share with his disciples about the nature of provision in the kingdom of God. He says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. So Jesus encourages his followers not to fear, but to trust. So the way of fools is fearful and selfish. The way of the kingdom is to trust. Now, this doesn't just apply to money. This applies to all of life. I remember when I was moving back to Oxford five years ago, um, Jenny and I had just started a relationship in London. Uh, I had a great house and a great bunch of housemates, a great job and a great church in London. But I'd felt that God had called me to move back to Oxford and step away from all of that. Um, I had to overcome fear and I had to choose to trust in God despite not knowing what it would look like. The fool's way is fear. The kingdom way is to trust in God. And then Jesus continues in Luke 12. He says, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Store up treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what we see is the other way of the kingdom is cheerful generosity. Jesus encourages his followers to not be selfish, but to be cheerfully generous. And I love the tenderness of God's words here. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. So we see that both the Father gives, it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom, and also we give. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. This is how we are made in God's image. We are called to be givers, to be generous, as God is generous, as God is a giver. God is pleased to give, so there's a cheerful generosity. Um, Hashtag put the fun back in funnel. Um, So we get to be like God in this, in our cheerful giving. So these are the secrets that the rich fool was missing. He was storing up treasure here, which would rot, which would grow old, which would pass away when he died. There's a phrase that my dad drummed into me as a child, which you might have come across. It's, do you give in while you're living, then you're knowing where it's going. Do you give in while you're living, then you're knowing where it's going. Jesus tells us what it means to build treasure in heaven. It's about seeking the kingdom, trusting God, and being cheerful in giving to the needy. Jen. Okay, so this leads us on to being a funnel. There it is. Lovely. So, (laughs) when I was about 16, God spoke to me about being a funnel. Hooray. Not quite what I was hoping for when I was 16, I'll be honest. I was hoping more for something along the lines of, I've got a husband for you and he's great, or something like that. But no, um, God told me I was going to be a funnel. Um, we purposely chose a picture of a boring funnel, um, just to really bring that out. So um, thank you, thank you, Lord. Um, so what do funnels do, just in case anyone is unfamiliar with the humble funnel? 
Um, help, these funnels are a means for pouring um, something from a wide entry point through to a narrower exit point. Okay, so God, what does this mean? It was a picture of being used by God as a means for channeling his provision and directing his blessing to where it's needed and to where he wants it to go. God pouring in his blessing into me, into the top of the funnel, and it flowing through me and being directed where he wants it to go. It's a picture of being an instrument in God's hands. It's a picture of submission to the Father. The funnel doesn't have a say in what's poured in or in where it goes. The funnel is just being used. It's a picture of trust and control. God, all that you've given me, I want to use as a means to bless others and to bless you. Show me where to direct what you have given me. This picture of a funnel contrasts with a bucket. The guy who wanted to build bigger barns was definitely a bucket. He had been given lots, but rather than what he had been abundantly blessed with flowing through him, it just sat with him. It didn't go anywhere. So, a question for you. Which of these two are you? Are you a bucket or are you a funnel? A few questions to help you self-identify. Buckets would ask questions like this or think like this. I don't have enough to be generous. I'll give when I have more or when I earn more. I'll wait until I'm full or I'll wait until I'm comfortable in the amount that I have and then I'll give out of the overflow. Or I'm self-made. I've earned what I have and I should choose how to use it. Funnels, on the other hand, think like this. I will obey God and give out of what I have because I trust God to be my provider. I don't need to have much to be generous. Everything that I have is a gift from God. It sounds obvious which of these two is a better way of thinking, right? Or a more kingdom way of thinking, but it's not like it's an easy switch. <laughs> um, and it's not like it's a one-time decision either. We, we're constantly coming back to this question of generosity and submitting our financial decisions to God. It might be an annual thing. You might get a bonus every year and need to decide how to use it, for example. Um, a recent example of this for me um, so we, Sanjay and I are part of the leadership here, and we were asked over summer whether we would have Johnny Walker, who's one of the apprentices, uh, live with us this year. Uh, we live in a two-bedroom flat, just the other side of the station, not far from here. And honestly, I'm ashamed to say, sorry, Johnny, I don't think I've told you this, <laughs> that my first thought was, where are we going to hang the washing if there is someone in that second bedroom? <laughs> bucket thinking, right? <laughs> um, I, I was so concerned about the things that, that we would miss out on. Not, I was not concerned with be, be using what God had blessed us with to bless others. 
I was thinking about me and how it would affect me, not Johnny and others, and how it would affect other people. Um, God, so God challenged me on that bucket thinking um, to, to be generous with what he'd given us. And Johnny's living with us, and it's great. And there is room for the washing. Do not worry. Um, so what areas of your life... We're not just thinking... Fi- we, are thinking we are talking about finance, but we're not only talking about finance. What other areas of your life might God be asking you to be a funnel in and to channel the blessing that he has poured into you? It could be as simple as offering someone a lift to church. For me, when I, started, when I started thinking about this and started thinking about um, generosity and how to be a cheerful giver, um, I, I started by challenging God because I saw in the Bible that it says God loves a cheerful giver. And so I thought it must be possible, but honestly, I cannot understand how I could be, could be cheerful when I'm giving away my things. Can anyone else relate to that? Okay, <laughs> it's not just me. I, I genuinely, I read it and thought, it must be, it, it must be possible, but God, you're going to have to show me how, because I don't see it. Um, so I grew up in a New Frontiers church, uh, and I went to a youth camp called New Day every year. So about 6,000 young people camping in tents for a week, very muddy, very wet, flooded every year. Um, and at the end of the week, they would always do this special offering, asking for money for, you know, the, towards the cost of the camp, and so they could be generous in giving, you know, blessing others. And every time this came around, I'd feel my tummy curl up inside me, like, oh, no, I don't want to give away what I've got. I, th- I was judgmental. I thought, well, surely if this is bad stewardship on their part. If they don't have enough money, that's on them. Um, so one year I decided right I'm going to give what I have left at the end of the week I'm going to give all of it that was a big decision I'm not going to hold back five pounds for a snack on the way home or for buying something in the gift shop on the last day I'm going to give all of it and for 24 hours I'm not going to have any money right it felt like a big deal um For me, that was the beginning of releasing control over my money and submitting it to God. It it wasn't very much money. It was probably less than £20. But in that act of putting all of it in the bucket at the end, um, it was an end to my judgmental thinking, firstly, about the stewardship of the people who were running the camp. I'm sure... Yeah, anyway... Um, and, and God did something in my heart in that moment when I, when I said, okay, I don't need this for the next like 24 hours or whatever it was. I'll be fine without it. In our giving, we can often think, God hasn't spoken to me about this specific thing, and that's why I won't give to it. We can, we can focus more on what the thing is that we're giving to than the change that God wants to do in our own hearts. It almost doesn't matter what God chooses to break this um, control of money that we often have. Does anyone remember those um, donkey sanctuary adverts? 
on the telly. It used to really rile me up, man. <laughs> um, it may be that God will use the donkey sanctuary to break your control and your need to hold on to your money. Um, for some friends of ours who are here in OCC, the thing that God used to, uh, to help them with this idea of funneling and, and letting what they have been given flow through them was tithing, giving away 10% of our money. And God invites us to test him. He says in Malachi, test me on this and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. So after starting all those years ago in New Day, giving away my £20, um, over time I didn't mind giving away bigger sums of money because I knew that that was obedience to God. And guess what? I found joy in it. I found genuine joy in being able to bless other people with what God had given me where there was need and where they didn't have what I had. So this has been part of my story in, with money, and it's an area I feel like I've gone on a real adventure with God in. Is God calling you to an adventure? It could be in this same area of control over money or something else to do with finance. It could be generosity of another kind, perhaps with your time with things that you can make yourself, or meals, or prayer. Wouldn't it be such a blessing if we all spent time praying for one another and hearing God on behalf of our church family? The thing about an adventure with God is that it's exciting, and it aligns our actions and our hearts with his heart and with what it is that he has for us. So um, we're coming into land, and really there's just a couple of questions that we want to to put to you. Um, Are you a bucket, or are you a funnel? Are you laying up treasure for yourself, or are you trusting God's provision and growing in cheerful generosity? We picked this picture in particular because we felt that there was something that God wanted to speak to us corporately about his abundance. And we sang about that earlier. Um, We sang that God is forgiving, that God is giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed, fountain of the joy of living. Um, And Jesus promises in Matthew 25 that uh, that there's actually life linked to this. We see this with the with the guys in, in this parable as well. They sought to control everything that God had, had given to them, and they weren't generous, and they lost their life. And Jesus promises that those who lose their life for the sake of the kingdom will find it. So God wants to pour out his abundance, his blessing, both financially and in wider life, in in all of the all of the goodness that that we see in Jesus, salvation and more, um, but God wants us to be obedient in how we receive that, how we steward that. Are you a bucket or are you a funnel? Um, and then the next question is, uh, how might God want to chop the bottom off the funnel? If the funnel's got a bit blocked up, what might He be using to 
to chop that off and let it start to flow again. 